Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 449 of the podcast. It's Carrie here. Hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. Very excited to bring you Horst Schultze today. He's the founder of the Ritz-Carlton and the Capella Hotel Group. Uh, And I've done a few conversations with him on this podcast and also in other forums. And I tell you, every time I learn something brand new from him, we're going to talk about the future of the hotel industry, why millennials really love personalized service, and uh, what gives young leaders a competitive edge. I know a lot of you are young who listen to this podcast. He's going to talk about a failure in his early life and uh, why personal is really the future. This episode is brought to you by World Vision. They have a new series, which is so good for your soul, called Right Side Up Soul Care. With Danielle Strickland, you can get it for free at worldvision.org slash carry and get 50% off the health benefits analysis this month by using the promo code carry 50 at remodelhealth.com slash analysis. Well, Horst Schultze is the founder of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Group. He is a legend and leader in the hotel world. His teachings and visions have reshaped the hotel industry and the concept of service around the world. He began his professional life more than 65 years ago and founded the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company in 1983. During his tenure, he was the president and the COO responsible for $2 billion in operations worldwide. Under his leadership, the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company became the first service-based company to be awarded the prestigious Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award, and they did it twice. Horst was also recognized as the Corporate Hotelier of the World by Hotels Magazine. He was awarded the Ishikawa Medal for his personal contributions to the quality movement, and he has an honorary doctorate of business administration in hospitality management. He's been awarded and honored as a leader in luxury by travel agent magazines. And after leaving the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company, he went on to found the Capella Hotel Group. This luxury hotel company, which we'll talk about, manages some of the most elite properties in the world. We'll describe how he can do that and charge the money he does for that. And today he serves as an expert in residence at Arch and Tower, a boutique organizational strategic consulting firm. He's the author of his book, Excellence Wins, which I would highly recommend. So you're going to get your notebook open, I would suggest. I learned a ton in this. And of course, you can get show notes at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode. Episode what? Episode 449. That's where we're at. Can you believe it? We're approaching episode 500. And thank you to all of you who rate and review this podcast and let us know what it means to you. It means the world to us that you would do that. Hey, this has been a meat grinder of a season for leaders, and it seems as we sink into the fall of 2021, I am hearing from more leaders who feel discouraged and defeated. Does your soul need care? Well, uh, there is a brand new series that World Vision put together with Danielle Strickland and global leaders who are truly under persecution. It's called Right Side Up Soul Care. You don't even have to be the leader of a church. If you're leading a business and you're like, yeah, my soul's not in good shape, check it out. The church can be a force for good in the world, and World Vision's heart is for the church to be healthy and mobilized to serve people outside the four walls. If your soul could use some care, sign up today at worldvision.org slash carry. That's worldvision.org slash C-A-R-E-Y. And some of you will remember, in the 1980s, retirement benefits changed. Pension plans got dropped, and 401k plans became all the rage, and it made sense. 
since employees often got better benefits while employers ended up saving a ton of money. Now, did you know the same change has happened with health benefits over the past decade? Something called, quote, managed individual is replacing old group plans like the 401ks replaced pension plans. It's simple. Employers give the money, employees pick the plans. Now, listeners of this podcast have already saved two and a half million dollars in the last 18 months making this shift and their teams have gotten better coverage. That's right. You save money, everybody gets better coverage. It's pretty incredible and it wouldn't be possible without Remodel Health. They've been serving Christian organizations for five years and they have a streamlined process to help you see what the 401k of health benefits could look like for your team. Their risk-free health benefits analysis lets you get a full preview of what the change would look like for your team. Normally, it's $35 per employees, but they're giving it to you for half that price in the month of September. Go to remodelhealth.com analysis and at checkout, use the promo code CARRY50. That's remodelhealth.com analysis. Use the promo code CARRY50, C-A-R-E-Y 50 at checkout and you will save 50%. Well, with all that said, Let's jump into my conversation with Ritz-Carlton Hotel founder and Capella Group Hotel founder, Horst Schulze. Horst, welcome back to the podcast. It's so good to have you. I'm delighted to be with you. Yeah, so um, last time you were on, we talked about your origin story and that um, that drive you had as a teenager. You know, you had the maitre d' who taught you many things and you decided you wanted to make hospitality your life. What I have learned since we last talked and spent some time together is that you almost checked out of your drive for excellence in hospitality. And it had something to do a moment in a little apartment that you rented in the Tenderloin uh, District yes. of San Francisco. Can, can uh, you take us there and tell us what happened, Horst? Okay, all right. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Well, I have to start with with Amadeo D to make it clear the story clear. Yeah, sure. Before I left working with him for several years, he was just an exceptional gentleman, and I was fortunate in my life to have a mentor like that. You know, on, on the end, we all are what we what input we had in our life, and hopefully good one. Mm-hmm. And he was exceptional. But before I left him, after working with him for three and a half years, he made me look in his eyes and promise him that I never got to work to work, that I only got to work, got to the workplace to create excellence, not just working. Right. And, and he, he emphasized, and, and I'm using it, I'm kind of plagiarizing his comments, if you will. He, he said things like, uh, like the, the, the chair in which you're sitting is working. You're a human being. You should be higher, think higher, and so on, so on. And I, he, I promised him when I left there, I will have that in mind every day. So I wor- went on to work in the finest hotels in Europe. I mean, truly in the finest hotels in Europe. I worked for, in Paris for a few years in the Plaza Athene, in, in London, in the Savoy, in the, in, and so on, so on. So and then I came to, to the U.S. and I worked in the Hilton in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I lived relatively close by in, in a little uh, furnished apartment. And... My intent was, I got back to Europe after two years, but I wanted to, in order to start off, this this was my career start off, really. And I want to learn English. I want, which I did somewhat, as you can tell. <laughs> and I wanted to be promoted before I go out because I could see right away, I was worked as a room service waiter. 
I could see right away there were four room service supervisors. And I saw one of them got promoted after a few months to restaurant manager. I said, wow, next time one of them gets promoted, that will be my job. And I knew it would be So you be were a, a room service waiter at this point. Waiter, yeah. So that, yeah. On the hotel hierarchy, for those of us who haven't worked in it, is that like mid-level, low-level? Like you're, you're kind of starting out? It's, it's, it's very low. It's bottom. Okay. It's just it's just a bottom. But I wanted to be promoted supervisor. And then after a year or so, I got back to Europe and finished my career. And I knew it would be my job because I was truly by far the best waiter there. The rest mm. of them took orders and delivered food. I knew the chemicals about, and I, I started this. I was I came from hotel school and, and working with the finest hotels in Europe. So I knew it would be my job. But besides that, the room service manager was German too. So ah. that was my job very clearly. And sure enough, a few months later, there was one of the supervisors got promoted out again. There was my job. And I didn't get it. Somebody else was promoted to that job. Now, the first reaction that is, um, I guess, quite typical was stupid management and so on. All those silly reactions. It took me a few months because my ego was bruised, my pride, my everything, my disappointing and everything. You have no idea what it hurt, how it hurt. But after a few months, I started to realize the, the young man who was promoted deserved it more. Hmm. I come to that conclusion because, you know, I was young. I was partying in the evening. I went to work in the next morning very tired. Yeah. Money, we started at six o'clock usually. And I showed up a few minutes late, just a few minutes, mind you. I, I, when, the, when, the, when the manager said, come on, come on, let's do some side work because we have time right now, folding napkins. I said, why me? Why not them? <laughs> the young man who got promoted arrived happy in the morning, smiled. When the manager said, let's do side work, he said, happy to. And I didn't. Hmm. When I came to that relationship and acceptance, which was difficult, I had to overcome my ego. Yeah. And I went back to my little room and talked to my maitre d. Now he had passed away. He didn't show up as his ghost or anything like that. But I talked with him. I apologized that I went to work to work and not to create excellence. And I said, that is very clear. I did it. And I promised him right there. I promised him. That means I promised myself. This yeah. will never, ever happen again. I have to manage myself so I got to work for excellence. So I wrote on the mirror where I shaved in the morning, go to work for excellence. And my career took off like a rocket ship, like, like a rocket ship. And I made up my mind, whatever job I do, I will not rest until I do it better than anyone else. And if it, sometimes that means just working harder or be five minutes earlier or stay five minutes longer and smile to my fellow workers and to my boss. And when my boss wants something, be happy about it, that I could comply, that I was allowed to comply and do it good. And my, my, my career didn't stop going on. How did you get over the self-pity and the, it's a dumb boss, stupid hotel system? Like that, that is self-talk that I think all of us have gotten into at one point or another. 
How did you, did you pull yourself out of it? Did you have a heart to heart other than no. with the maitre d' in your head? Like what? No, I, I, okay, yep. I truly, truly only with myself and the maitre d'. And, and it, it took a few months, mind you. It yeah. didn't happen overnight. And, and, and I, I watched it when I had, and I, and I happened to hit a mood where I was for a moment open to the fact that, to the truth that it was my fault. It was me. Mm and not them. And it's so, so easy to, you know, and that's what we all do. We sit together and blame them. Even sometimes we could, don't even know who them is, but we blame them. And, and instead of seeking, and, and I come to the conclusion, even then, I, I have to manage what I can manage, not what they manage, not what them manages, but I have to manage myself. I'm responsible for myself. So, Horst, we have thousands of young leaders listening, and they can probably hear a little of themselves in the story. I know I can. You know, still, even, even now sometimes, it's like, pull up your socks, Newhoff. Um, what changes did you make when you went from working for work's sake to working for excellence? Back, back, and how old were you at the time? Were you a teenager still? Were you 20 No, something? No, I was 24. 24. Okay, so you're 24. Your attitude shifts. What yeah. was different about the horse that showed up the next day and in the ensuing months and years? Mostly attitude, mostly behavior and attitude. Attitude of, and I, I met up my mind, first of all, I will never ever be late again. Never mm. ever. And it was a, I, I think, in fact, in the meantime, I had it become, became a possession. I was possessed with that. I, and I, I, I believe it's an insult to be late with people. But walking, walking in late, wait a minute, what's the big deal? I'm only five minutes late. And there are 20 people there. That, that, that means 100 minutes, by the way. So, you know, that became clear to me. And that is the, the, that's the one thing that should be easy to be done. That was my answer. And then, then, be, then respond positive about needs that there are. I made up my mind there. That I, and I knew I, I crumbled all the time when I had to do something extra. And I said, this will never happen again. I will do it. I'm happy that I have the opportunity to show that I care and responding to that. I made up my mind at the same time, I realized how I got to work in the morning, not only with my boss. I'm very tired. I walk by everybody and, and crumble, don't even say good morning. And I said, wait a minute. That means I am not defining my work environment. I can even inform... And, and I noticed that when I met up my mind and went in and said, hello, friendly, then all of a sudden people and, uh, uh, responded friendly to me because I was friendly to them. And, <laughs> and this, this, this simple understanding came, wait a minute, I want a good work environment. I'm, re I'm responsible for my work environment. I can create it. I mean, it, and it hit, those things hit me and and really changed my life. This, the fact that I was not promoted was a major impact in my life. It's interesting. You know, we've spoken, I've had you speak at a couple of events I've hosted, and uh, I noticed you showed up early. And even um, on the technology <laughs> we're using to record yeah. today, I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dial in a couple minutes early, and boom, you were there. That's something yeah. you've kept for decades now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, in fact, also everybody knew when I called a meeting at three o'clock, people showed up at five minutes after three. And they also knew that a couple of minutes after three, I would, would lock the door. 
I mean, if I would have meant two oh. minutes after, well, if I would have meant two minutes after three, I would have said so. I wasn't lying. <laughs> now, what would you say to the lead? Okay, here, here, here's a question for you. People would say, <laughs> really? Like, was that then and this now? Or are those still the attitudes that you look for in the team members around you? Well, you can't help. You look, look, you look for the attitudes that you that become part of you. You cannot help that. Even though I, I of course, with age, learn to be more compassionate about a mistake here or there. Uh, yeah. you, you know, and, and I, I learned to accept the exceptions. And but at the same time, I I believe. Look, one of the honors of managing or being a leader or being a manager is that you can positive impact the life of others. Right. Now, I'm not doing that. I'm not positively impacting the life by compromising, but by by being strongly showing them what makes them successful in life, what will be respected by people. And that means, and I've always felt in, in, when I run a, run a company that I'm I am responsible and I cannot delegate. I'm responsible for the standards of the organization. That includes things like being timely and so on. That includes that. So and the, the two things that I never delegated was the vision of the organization. I'm responsible to take the organization to that vision. If I'm a good leader and have identified that the vision is good for everybody, mind you, that has to, that plays a key role. If I know the vision is good for everybody, in this moment, as a leader, that is my responsibility to take the, the, the organization to that vision. And Ritz Carlton was very simply, let's, I want to create the finest hotel company in the world. Now, now clearly I had to ask myself, is this good for the investors? Is right. this good for every employee? Is this good for the customer? And is it good for society? Now, personally, I had to take another step, but I'm not selling that. I'm not trying to push anything on anybody here. I had to ask myself, would God approve? Once the answer in all five points were clearly yes, I had no more right to compromise this. I, not even to the point of delegating it to somebody else. That's my role. And the other role was to set the standards, to maintain the standards that would get us there. So the two are connected. So, so, and that includes the general behavior of the organization. Timeliness is extremely important. And, and, if, and it was confirmed to me very, very strongly. I, I, I wanted to know in the beginning of Ritz Carlton, how long does it take before people get very upset when they check, check in in the evening during rush hour check-in yeah. and have to wait? And have to wait because we knew people were kind of getting really upset slowly if they waited. And so we started that. And we knew it was okay. It was okay if they waited four minutes. But after four minutes, they were starting to get annoyed. So we went out with hmm. soft drinks and conversation after two minutes and talked through the line and talked. So they wouldn't notice it went over, over four minutes. Well, we looked at that. We looked at that uh, uh, relatively recently. And... Today, 
they get upset after 20 seconds. <laughs> that is true. So timeliness is extremely important. You don't want to wait for anything. You want to buy a bottle of water, you want it now. You don't, you don't, you mm -hmm. don't want it when they want to give it to you. Want it, you. So timeliness was very, very important. So I have to, in that moment, I have to make sure it exists in my organization and I teach it to the people that work with me. And that's why, that's my obligation as a leader. One of the other characteristics I've picked up in you and I've seen in other high-performing leaders, and I don't know exactly how what to call it, so I'll describe it, but when you and I were talking about this interview today, I said, you know, do you have any time constraints? And you said, I'm all yours. And that has been my experience with you. And you run a lot. I mean, you founded the Ritz-Carlton. You are on the board at uh, Capella Hotel Group now. You're very busy. You're very active. But when I have been with you, you have been fully present. And I find there's a lot of leaders who are kind of distracted or like, yeah, I can give you two minutes or they're on their phone or whatever. Yeah. Is that something you have cultivated intentionally? Is that a uh, characteristic you see no. in other leaders no, you admire? It, it, I'd love you to comment on It's very intentionally. It's very intentional. When, when you ask to participate one more time on the podcast, I have to look, do I have time? Do I, can I really serve you? If I say yes, I have to, I have accepted that I have to do this right. Or I will say, no, I cannot do right. it. I have to question myself, can I do this right? And of course, and to, to force you into a time constraint means I'm not really accepting to do it right for you. In this moment, I accept it. You know, it's not different than look at your customer. Look, you you say you're serving people. The moment when you deal with you're serving them in some form. So hmm. service, I always explain service has three stages. The first stage is the initial contact. Welcome. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good greeting. Obviously. The second stage is not about you, it's about the other person. It's not about you anymore. So hmm. you have to say it's all and so. You have to put yourself in a mind frame that I will do my very best in what I'm doing for you. And I'm going to create my product around for you. I make sure you make the right decisions with me. And so on. that's the second step of service when you have a customer. And the third step, of course, is saying farewell. Thank you for allowing me to be with you. Now, hmm. the same thing is in this moment of relationship. That's how I look at it. So I look at it. Do I have time? When can we do it? And then make sure I always, I try to block. Sometimes it's impossible because you have another one happen and you have to kind of put them in. I always try to block time after just in case it runs over, just in case you need something. And that is an automatic response to me based on my service industry background. That seems to be a uh, not very common skill that I really appreciate and see as a common thread in some of the leaders, the, the top tier leaders I have the privilege of interviewing. What are uh, a lot of young leaders listening? What are some other qualities and characteristics that you really look for in young leaders, Horst? Well, I, I, I when when I when I interview people, of course I try to see that that. that do you have purpose and vision in life or are you hmm. just living along? Do you want to be, 
because if you have some purpose and vision, then I can invite you to participate in my purpose and my organization's purpose. Uh, some people realize, some people feel it, not consciously maybe, that nothing is worthwhile unless it has purpose. You know, you, again, you don't go to work to just work and fulfill a function. Uh, uh, work, uh, fulfilling a function, my chair, as I mentioned earlier, is fulfilling a function. Human beings should be going to work to create excellence and be part of a purpose. And the, mm. and the purpose should, should be the driver of everything. I don't have a meeting when, and without discussing and saying, if this meeting is not serving our purpose, in, in the case of Ritz-Carlton, they become the finest hotel company in the world. If we have a meeting here or whatever we do right now, if it doesn't serve that purpose, we shouldn't have it. It's purpose. And young people should have to understand. You have to, what they have to understand also, what I would want them to understand is that at work they define themselves. That's where they define themselves. You know, people, oh, work, work, and then the life is different. It's not. You, most of your waking life is at work, ladies and gentlemen, like it or not. Why not take advantage of that time? and define yourself as an, as an exceptional human being this, while you're doing your job. And those things come together. It's about you. And, what, what, and when, when, when you interview people, you want to see, do they have that kind of understanding? Or is that silly to them? You know, and, and it's interesting, the millennials, it's very interesting. It, and, and surveys show that there are two things about the millennials. That are, the one thing they say is, uh, it's do it the way I want it. It's my way. With other words, if I if I would have gone to a McDonald's, I would have said I take number the number one. The millennial says I take the number one, but give me two slices to make and a half a pickle and give in a little no lettuce. Do it my way. Do it my way is the attitude of the millennial. But at the uh -huh. same time, the work attitude of the millennial is what's in it for me. What's in it for me? And when you really listen, and of, of course, I thought about that too when I was a young man, except I was afraid to ask. <laughs> During my time, <laughs> you didn't ask. But they have no question asking that. And when you show them, if they have a good reaction, when you show them that they're part of a purpose, and of course, so I have to, I just, I had to show them, as a Ritz Carlton, our purpose is, to become the finest in the world. Let me know. So I'm telling you, join me in doing that. Become part of a purpose. Don't come to work here. Come here for the intent of become the finest in the world. And here's my, my motive. And that's what you have to do as leaders. Here's my motive. This way we will grow and you will have opportunities. So, and, and this way we will be respected. So will you be. So connecting the millennials to the purpose and motive of the organization will make it very clear to them what's in it for them. Hmm. Very clear. Yeah, when, when you interview young people, you have to seek, do they get that? And, and you have to determine if they get that. If they get that, they become loyal to the organization because they now become part. Yeah. 
You're you're totally right on that. And I was going to encourage people to read your book, Excellence Wins, which is a fantastic book. I have so much underlined in that book. And uh, also, you can listen back to the first interview, which we will link to in the show notes that I did with Horst a couple of years ago, because those are principles you can teach. And that is the thing. It's not like you find a whole lot of people. Yeah, you, you, you hire to a certain profile, but then you can teach them these things, which is so good. Um, one more question just about characteristics. You think about your life, you're extremely busy. Your time is valuable. It's not like you're sitting around going, oh, I'll give Carrie an hour, 90 minutes. Like, you know, you, you got a lot of stuff to do with your life. How, how do you say no? Like what, do you have a filter that you use for what you allow to come onto your calendar, what you don't? And then how do you say no without offending everyone around you? Well, that's a difficult question. That's, a question I ask myself all the time, and I have yeah. to be honest, I have to be very honest. I have the, the filter is Savannah, my assistant, and and uh, we we look at every request. And in, in your, the requests of participations come constant. They're constant. Can yes, I just talk are. to you? It, it it is overwhelming. I mean, and you can do everything. And I have a I have a hard time saying no, because you. Particularly when you come to my age, what 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 do I want to do? I want to serve people. I want to help people to 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 see how to build a career and how to be successful. You want to serve, and then all of a sudden you say no, and another endorsement of another book, and and and, and so on. It's very difficult. So I'm I'm kind of feel really hopeless in that, and so I always say, Savannah, and here's how you go back and you. I'm just overwhelmed. I cannot do it. Please forgive me. I cannot do it. But that's the answer that I have to say. Very honestly, I I, I used to make excuses. Hmm. And, and, and that, it, it, that's kind of silly. I felt, I felt later silly to do that. So just saying, sorry, forgive me, but I cannot do it. Time-wise, whatever, you cannot do it. You know, I've never put in the forgive me. That because I've thought about yeah. this a lot. I've asked a lot yeah. of guests on this podcast. I got a section of my new book, but that forgive me if it's sincere, and it is. I'm I'm oh, the yeah. same way as you. Yeah. You probably get way more requests than I do, but I get more than I can possibly handle. Yeah. But I do think that forgive me is a really good way to approach it. Well, interesting, interesting. We had a pretty good study on that, and and in fact, how do you handle it in? It's related. How do you handle a guest that has a problem? And, mm. and we we called it problem resolution. We, in fact, certified every employee around the world. Mind you, with Riscard, we were in five continents. And every one of our hotels was, was the leader in the market segment where we were. But every employee, 20-some thousand employees, was certified in problem resolution. How do you say, wow. I'm sorry? So when a guest had an issue, the point was, I didn't want to lose that guest. You, hmm. you, a guest that's unhappy, particularly today, watch out. A guest that's unhappy becomes a terrorist against your company and you, against you. So we taught, how do you make sure that the guest is unhappy doesn't become a terrorist, in fact, becomes hmm. an ambassador. So the, the, the way to handle that, number one, if you reach a, a complaint, comes a concern. Number one, listen, intentively listen. Don't look the other way. Don't even if a pretty girl walks by, don't look at her. Look them in the eye. Listen. Number two, 
show empathy. Number three, number three, apologize. And never say, they don't do that and say, always say, forgive me. And once, mm. and if the, 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 the guest that had a TV problem complains to the busboy and the busboy says, forgive me, the complainer nearly feels embarrassed that he ever even complained. But why did he complain? He or she, of course. Why did he complain? He wanted to get rid of his frustration. And now suddenly somebody totally accepted that frustration. In that moment, it's gone. But if you don't accept it, say, well, they, well, I will tell them, the frustration will go up. Because the only reason they tell you is to get rid of that frustration. Now, the fourth step to us was make amends. And we had a five step, fifth step, delight them. That means the bus boy was now requested to find out what room that guest is in, make sure that the TV gets repaired right away, and then send the guest some cookies or some fruit or something and say, I just want to apologize once more. Can you imagine? That guest, oh. instead of becoming instead of becoming a terrorist, became an ambassador. And it's not different in generally a handling thing. Forgive me. I am sorry. And in and, and that moment, people will forgive you. But just say, sorry, no, no, forgive me. I'm sorry. That is a masterclass in handling adversity. And, you know, it's funny, I've done a lot of work in my backyard this year and had a lot of projects done around the house and uh, not a whole lot has gone right in 2021. The rarity of someone actually apologizing for their mistakes. It's just so <laughs> rare these days. Yeah. Even in Canada, which has a reputation for being polite horsed. I mean, I, I had my boat washed by the marina this year and they didn't do a very good job. And they acknowledged that it wasn't right. But nobody apologized. And I'm there in the yard with the marina manager, with a senior mechanic who's fixing something they said they couldn't fix for three weeks. And yet it was a little D-ring that he was able to put on in two seconds. And there was a 21-year-old kid, like young adult, who was there. And he was the new boat dealer. And he could see that I was not very happy. And I, I, I wasn't like mad or anything, but he could, he could tell they had really let him down. Of all the people there, including the marina, it was the 21-year-old who came to me, looked me in the eye, and said, I'm sorry, we have really let you down. Oh, they are. And I'm like, oh. you know, I pulled him aside after and I said, you know, this has been a bit of a gong show for sure because it was a five-week process in getting my boat back and it still wasn't done and blah, blah, blah. You know, big problems. But anyway, I, I'm saying that sarcastically. But I said to him, you know, you have a future. If you keep that attitude and don't lose that, like, my goodness, that is a superpower in this world. So I'm just underscoring what you said. And that yeah. can be trained, right? That's what people forget. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. We, we, we certified everybody in that. And, and we empowered them, uh, you know, and, and uh, we, we empowered every employee up to, 20, 20, up to $2,000 to move heaven and earth to keep a guest who has an issue. You see, it, it, it's, it, today that's much more important. During my time, it was so important to me in the hotel business because the guest isn't just a guest, but the Usually, the travel agent calls the guest and says, how was your stay? 
And if that guest set wasn't good, I didn't only lose that guest, I lost the travel agency. Hmm. Today, it's much worse. They can go on the, on the, on the internet and on the, on the uh, social networking and uh, destroy you. Yeah. Yeah. Lots so, of one-star so, reviews yeah, out how, there, right? How, how can you not teach your employees and empower your employees to make sure no, nobody leaves unhappy? How can you not do that? So that was very clear to me. So I went up and do and, and and at the same time, I want to tell my employees who I establish high expectation, I establish them. I want to tell them all, I trust you to not let that happen. And I trust you up to $2,000 and I won't question you. And and by the way, hardly... <laughs> Hardly anybody ever gave $2,000. Nobody, in fact. One incident that cost $2,000 was the rest, they bought some cookies or bought breakfast for somebody and the guests were amazed. The guests were amazed. I, I want so, to talk about that. We touched on that in the first interview. Yeah. I've never forgotten it. But for those who maybe it's not close to their memory, they never heard the first interview, haven't read your book. That is such a powerful principle. So you empowered every employee from the person changing light bulb to the bus boy that you were at 24 um, to spend up to $2,000 to resolve a problem. And you had how many employees worldwide? Uh, Roughly at 24,000. 24,000. So do the math. I'm not good at math, but 2,000 times 24,000, that's a lot of money <laughs> every day that could disappear, right? And I can see yeah. the bean counters going, horse, that's a disaster. We're going to be bankrupt in minutes. That will lead into profitability, you know? Why was that such an effective policy? Look, look I, I was sued. <laughs> I was sued for mismanagement by several hotel owners. Uh, uh, why was really? it important? Well, yeah, I sure. didn't know that. What, what oh, happened well, with that? Well, yeah, but it all it, it never went that far. They all of a sudden saw, hey, this is working. Well, it was very, very simply this very reason. I, and mind you, I didn't just start, woke up and say, oh, well, let me ask everybody to give $2,000 away. My, my, my concern was, how can I keep every customer? How can I keep every guest? For me, a great organization, to me, does four things. Number one, keep the customers that you have. Never lose a customer. Be sure your customer goes out and recommends you and wants to come back. That measurement, to me, is the most important measurement. Now, they do three other things, but they cannot interfere with number one. Number two, you find new ones. Number three, you get as much money as you can from your customer because they trust you, but you don't lose them. And number four, you work efficiently. Not cheap, efficient. So that's what you do. So it was that was clear to me everything. I have to keep the customers. They have to leave and recommend to others. So besides that, I knew the average age of my customer, they were low 40s, just over 40. So in other words, they could travel another 30 years, which because of the average spending that I did, they would be worth about $200,000. Wow. So why wouldn't I invest 2000 to keep them? And through that, gain new ones. That was the issue. My, the issue was not giving $2,000. But at the same time, I realized if I do that, I will be clearly able to tell all my employees, I trust you. I trust you to do this. And nobody misused it. Nobody. Never. And, and beautiful stories came out of that. Wonderful stories. 
and many excited customers, lifelong customers. Can you give us an example or two of some of your favorite stories of employees well, well, using I, it? I always enjoy telling the story because this was so overwhelming. And, and there's this, this young couple who checked in in Cancun and the honeymoon couple. And the first day he lost his ring in the sand on the beach. And this was crying and disaster and digging. And the more you dig, the more it's gone, obviously. And it becomes evening and, and the beach is closed and the four beach attendants ran and bought four metal detectors. They didn't have to ask a manager. If they, let's face it. If they would have asked a manager, probably the manager would have said, well, you won't find it anyway, or okay, buy one. <laughs> they bought four. <laughs> Each one bought one, and they found the ring. Now, the next morning, they had the ring back. And they, 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 they cried more then than the night before. And, they, no and, they, and the, the, the young man went and wrote to every newspaper and went on, on TV interviews and, and radio interviews and, and talk about this, this ring, this company who really cared. It, it was immeasurable. Yeah, that would that make that Good was, Morning America. That would make the yeah, Today Show. That's it, it, incredible. It, 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 millions of, of PR and, and, and the loyal customer. And it's such beautiful stories, so many beautiful stories that happen that, that they made you... Uh, that makes you want to cry sometimes what the employees all did to take care of the customer. Mm. And, and that was that was the reputation that Ritz-Carlton had. I, I was recently in a speech, I was applauded because I was in a room. They didn't applaud me. They applauded the reputation that Ritz-Carlton had. Mm. But think about every employee where they was defined by that. And I always say, if today there would be a job opening and there are 100 employees applying, the Ritz-Carlton employee would, that, that applies, the ex-Ritz-Carlton employee would get a job because of the image that we created. That's why young people, if you go to work, define yourself as excellent. And like it or not, you're very much defined by the image of your organization. So help make it a good image. What else did you do when you co-founded Ritz-Carlton that, and, and along the way, along your whole journey, where your peers or colleagues thought you were crazy, where they said, <laughs> why are you even doing that? I'm sure there must have but, been moments. I mean, you, there's sad moments too. Uh, hmm. For example, and I, I never forget that because it, it, was, it, it pierced me in a, in a sense. I made it very clear. I want everybody to know the, the, the purpose of the company. We don't hire people to come here to work. Hire them to join the purpose of becoming the very best. And one of the channel managers man said, uh, you actually want, want to talk to dishwashers about purpose? How dare you? How dare you? You mean, with other words, they just can win, wash dishes without more? I mean... You, you learn those things. It's out, outrageous. You know, Aristotle said, taught, you cannot be fulfilled without purpose and belonging. So if we are leaders, why wouldn't we offer purpose and belonging? For them and selfishly for the organization at the same time. You can combine this. So, so many uh, moments you have when you, when you work where you 
absolutely enthralled and and how how wonderful i mean here is a here is a doorman and there was a customer was uh, became ill late in the night and the doorman took him to the hospital he was empowered to talk move heaven or to keep the customer talking to the hospital in the middle of the night late in the night about two o'clock in the morning and stayed with them till eight o'clock in the morning in the hospital wow. and, and then and, and from there on his telephone informed the hotel informed the family of the of the guests and so on now when when you when you get that message back to your office you want to cry and you want to mm. go and hug this doorman and and it's it's such many be- beautiful. He didn't question himself. He knew he was supposed to move heaven and earth to help the customer. That was his role. And if it costs money, it's one bucks. So be it. Hmm. How do you? Because my grandfather was a janitor. I worked as a janitor at my dad's company and uh, was a busboy, actually, <laughs> at a restaurant when I was in I was college. <laughs> so, uh, I. so I have worked a little bit. How do you instill dignity to those who might not normally find dignity in their work? Yeah. Well, uh, and I, we touched on that uh, in our last speech. My, yeah, we did. I, I learned it from my med, from my medity again, who... Who, and and as, as I, when I was there, who told me constantly excellence, and I, and I didn't get it when I was 14 years old. It took me a while. And then there were, I was, I went once a week to hotel school, typical German upbringing. And after two years, we were asked to write an essay, what we now feel about our industry. And I thought about a major D, who I realized that night when he approached a table Guests on the table were proud that he came to them. And I questioned myself, why? After all, we were supposed to be the servants and they, they the very fine ladies and gentlemen, the guests in that hotel. And I realized they were proud because that gentleman had defined himself as a fine ex- a person of ex- excellence. And that's when I wrote my essay and named that we are ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. And they took it with me. When I started at Scarlet, I made that the motto of the company. And I made it very clear to everybody. You're not servants. You're ladies and gentlemen. Unless you sentence yourself to be less. But you are ladies and gentlemen. And if you do excellence in what you're doing, you are defining yourself as a lady or gentleman. Only you can define yourself as less. And when, when you tell him that, and made it very clear, we are in, our profession is service, but we're not servants. We are ladies and gentlemen, and our job is service to ladies and gentlemen. And that is a beautiful art to care yeah. for people. So powerful. That really is. When you, when you came to America, I want to hop back to where you were in San Francisco. So you'd been trained at some of the finest hotels in Europe, seen that. You came to America when you're 24 years old. You're working at a lower level. What were some of the gaps in service between what you had experienced in Europe and America at the time? (laughs) You know, I mean, mind you, I, I kind of omit that because my first job when I came in, I went to actually to Houston. 
I was there only two weeks. So, okay. mind you, I come truly, it, it just shows you how cultural differences are sometimes so stupid and not understood and, 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 and your, 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 your thoughts are so stupid sometimes. <laughs> and then the funny thing is, and I tell my kids that and they laugh, um, I arrive in, in Houston in a nice hotel, mind you. Yeah. I was pretty new and, uh, and um, I was hired by, uh, by a manager of the hotel. He saw me working as a waiter in, in, in the Savoy in London. He hired me to come over to the U.S. I came legally here, legally. And uh, worked in that restaurant. The first night I worked actually as a waiter in that restaurant, and uh, I had an order for for fish, a fish order. And uh, so I looked in a hurry. Where is my fish knife and my fish fork? Where are they? It would have been unthinkable in a fine hotel <laughs> restaurant in Europe to serve fish without fish fork. <laughs> and uh -huh. there was none. There were none. And I right. nearly I nearly quit that moment. How can I serve fish? <laughs> now I don't have any. <laughs> how can I serve fish? That's how. how. So there, there's some real gaps for the moment that happened. And uh -huh. the things. So it was, uh, I, that's how silly you can think though. And in, in the gap, in the cultural gap that exists. And what oh, you sure. think you, and thinking absolutely certain that what you believe is right. Well, <laughs> it's not. It's not. Uh, for the record, <laughs> I don't know what a fish fork is, and I've been to Europe, so uh, yeah. I guess I've got some learning to for, do, horse. For the record, I haven't seen any for many years, not at home, no anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> but you would see that. What were some of the other differences you saw well, between well, Europe and America? Well, uh, a key difference was in Europe, in those finer hotels, we knew exactly, we had learned exactly from which side you serve what, and then so on and so on. Right. And that, that there was no importance relative to that. There was more importance here to be nice. And, and, and really, in the finest, during my time, I cannot judge so well now, in those very fine restaurants, I mean, these are the finest in the world at the time. There was a, an arrogance about us as a waiter. This was an arrogance. We were, and I developed through that when I came here and I saw the guest really doesn't care if I put a soup in from the left or the right, as long as I'm nice about it. Then, and, and that silly thing of being that precise and being even arrogant about it. And so I came to the realization very much so. And then I worked for a while in a French, in a French restaurant also on the, on the side in, 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 uh, in uh, San Francisco, there was an arrogance in all the European waiters that were there. And I developed the phrase simply, elegance. They were all so elegant, mm -hmm. but without warmth. Elegance without warmth is arrogance. Oh, wow. And, and I learned here, the service wasn't arrogant at all. And mm -hmm. often, in the restaurants where I worked, it was a lot of arrogance that we had. Hmm. And, and so I, I, that was a real difference and say, wow, I have to mix this and put as much professionalism in it. That's what I tried to do with, uh, with, with, with Ritz Carlton and put it a little bit more professional, but keep the warmth of the American caring 
human being. And that was, tr- that was the success that we had. I yeah. mixed the two a little bit. And I, I made it even stronger in Capella later. Of course, Capella is a different story. Capella is ultra luxury. It's not, Ritz Carlton is luxury. Capella, we went to an ultra luxury mode. And, and, uh, but the philosophy did the same. We just tweaked it, tweaked it even more. What would the difference be between Ritz Carlton and Capella? Some of the, because there's only a handful of Capella hotels, right? Yeah. In most well, countries. It, it, well, there's a good reason for that. And there won't yeah. be that many because uh, take Singapore. And, and most of you and, and your, your listeners may know our hotel in Singapore. You may have seen when President Trump met with Kim from North Korea, they met in the Capella in Singapore. Ah, that's so good to know. Close by is the Ritz Carlton, which I was part of creating and opened. A fabulous hotel. The Ritz Carlton in Singapore is fabulous, absolutely fabulous. Mm. And they're running about an average rate, average rate of about four hundred dollars, four hundred fifty dollars a night. Great hotel. Ten minutes away is a Capella. We run twelve hundred dollars a night. Wow. That's the difference. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So what is the difference then in terms of service and standards? Well, mind you, in a Ritz car, in a, we, we serve you well in the way we possibly can as an individual. And in a capella, it's all individualized. In fact, before you, when you make a reservation, we call you, what can we do for you? Are you, are you my teaching was, mind you, I started that company totally. Right. Uh, my teaching was simply, we do absolute everything for the guest as long as, as it is legal, moral, and ethical. Hmm. We do it. Period. We call you before you, after you make a reservation, we call you and said, you're coming to Singapore, hypothetically Singapore. You come to Singapore, what can we do for you in Singapore? Do you have any allergy, any, any, uh, any needs? Can, mm-hmm. Should we make reservations for you? what is it you want? There's no check-in time, no check-out time. We will have a room when you arrive, period. Even if I ever keep a room free the night before, it doesn't matter. You check out, as long as you check out before dark, it's fine. There's no check-in time. There there is no hours of operation. You tell me when you want to eat. We we will close, we open half an hour earlier the restaurant. That's fine. Or, Or one. And we keep it longer open if you want to. It's all about you. And of course, that takes cost. And of course, yes, all is. the finishes. And there, there's a lot of cost elements involved here. So we, I cannot, we cannot put, I'm not, I sold the company two years ago. So, but we cannot put a Capella just anywhere. Ritz Carlton can put many places. But Capella, because I need a very high rate and high occupancy. Yeah. Otherwise, I can't do what we're doing. So COVID hit a couple of years ago, last year. And uh, I read, and you can correct me if my research is wrong, that you called about 30 friends in your business when COVID hit and gave them advice on what to do during COVID. And apparently, nobody followed it or very few did. What advice did you give them? (laughs) A few of them did, yeah. The, The number one thing, well, I... I said, let's let's look at a very tough situation that's hit us and let's accept the difficulty that is going to come at us. Let's accept it. Yeah. And that takes some 
very, very hard decision. But how do you make those hard decisions now? Those decisions that you may have to cry over, hmm. but that you have a responsibility to make. Number one, though, do not change the vision that you have. Hmm. Do not change your purpose. If your purpose was to become the best in your location, that should not change. The purpose has to do the same. Number two, your values cannot change. Your values generally cannot change, even though they're a very hard decision, with, but with, they have to be within your values. Number three, be sure, figure out, sit down, figure out how can I make sure that my, my customers, as many as I can touch, think higher of me when, once we're through Corona than they thought before. That means you stay in contact with them. That means you respect your travel agents. Be sure you talk to them. Let them let, not all of a sudden because they're not sending business to you, forget them. Communicate with them and so on. Next, you have to let some employees go. But be mm. sure you keep be sure you keep the very best ones. But the rest, you have to go, but figure out how you can be the, they can be the first one to come back, the ones that you let go. Now, and, but stay in contact with them. Keep a relationship going. But, but you know, the fact is some of them have to, have to go. Mm-hmm. So there's a t- very tough decision that I talked with them through how to handle these things and how to communicate this, those things. And, but I, and, and of course, it has to be when you, if you reopen, don't talk about your luxury anymore. Talk about how safe you are. Mm-hmm. But be sure you are. Let's be sure. Question yourself, Am is my hotel safer than anybody else's? If that's not a question that you have, that you agonize over and apply, then you shouldn't be even in our business right now because mm-hmm. safety of human beings comes first. So there's the type of conversations I had, obviously. Well, that's good advice. That's really good advice. Um, We also, you know, the landscape is changing. In the last decade, Airbnb emerged. And, uh, you know, hoteling is very different than it was a decade ago. So I don't own a hotel. I just stay in them from time to time. (laughs) But assume I'm a client that you're consulting with. And I'm like, Horst, tell me how to compete as a hotel in the era of Airbnb. What What would you tell me? What would your advice be? Well, what, what can be the difference? So be sure you're superior in the difference that you created. Number one, of course, is service. You don't have to wash dishes in our, in, when you're in our hotel. You don't have to wash your own dishes. We wash them for you. You have room service. You have all those things. Be sure that those, those things are exceptional. But, but the other thing that has to be exceptional is the safety in your hotel. Again, mm. back to, if it is Corona, or if it is general fire safety, the apartment that you're going to rent doesn't have sprinklers and a system and, and immediate help in the hotel if it happens. Be sure that you have it, but they have it right. So identify all the differentiation. Be sure that the differentiation is very well managed, that you're exceptional in it. No. But the fact is, we are in a huge change that is happening. Huge change in the hotel business. The traditional, and that includes Airbnb, the traditional hotels that you know today 
all, or even the great names, even some of them who, who I was involved with in creating, pretty soon you check in on this thing over here. Mm -hmm. You make a reservation on this thing. You arrive. You call your elevator. You go to your room. You open your room. And you check out. With other words, hospitality is not a part anymore. Most of those hotels will become sleeping commodities. Sleeping mm -hmm. commodities. But that's a beautiful opportunity for hotels that are still offering hospitality. Yeah. I can, I'm not dismissing that, Manu. I'm not dismissing that. Yeah. I will do that too. But at the same time, I will create more hospitality than ever before. And I will do it in a way where if you experience it, and then you go to the apartment that you rented in the Airbnb where there's nobody welcoming you and nobody is saying to you, I'm here for you 24 hours, no matter what happens to you, even if you fall ill in the middle of the night, I'm here for you. That's what I have to say and be there and it has to be clear to you when you check into my hotel, even though you come I made a reservation here. But I'm still wait for you and check your work and, and be with you. I'm still a human being that is available to you anytime. Truly are. So those elements I have to greatly improve. In that moment, I improve against the commodities of sleeping that are developing today and against the Airbnb. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, because I've sensed that a lot of companies, for real reasons, have used COVID to cut back. They had to. Sure. But I feel like service has been dialed back, even when COVID no longer justifies it. In other words, we'll have shorter hours, or there will be fewer services. Or, uh, And I've, I've been to a boutique hotel my first day in Toronto a couple months ago, because we were pretty much grounded here for a year. Um, it was at a boutique hotel I'd never stayed before. And it was that anonymous experience you talked about. You check in on your phone via text. There was no one at the hotel. It was all remote. If you had a question... And I felt like, am I, am I on another planet now? Like I am wanting to talk to a human being. And it certainly wasn't a discount hotel. It was actually a fairly expensive hotel. And I'm like, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like there's a massive opportunity for service that massive. many organizations are missing, Horst. Massive. It, it will. This, what is happening right now, will create unbelievable opportunity for people that want to create a, a Hotels, hospitality hotels. Hospitality mm -hmm. is such a beautiful thing. And, and, but it means, what's hospitality? It is a beautiful story. Uh, St. Benedict, in the year 500, mind you, he wrote to his monasteries. Mind you, at that time, travelers stopped in monasteries, and he wrote them, if a guest arrives, treat him as if it was Jesus himself. Okay? Wow. I guess it doesn't. And then, and, and in fact, the abbey, the head of the monastery, if the guest is by himself, man only stayed there by himself, be, be sure you join him for dinner, even if you have to break your fast. But before dinner, wash their feet. Aha. Now that's hospitality. Yeah. That is true hospitality. Now, I don't quite wash your feet, but I, when you come to the hotel, you have to feel I am actually a human being that says I'm here for you. And mean it, and mean it, and show it, and welcome them, and so on. 
And if I'm going to do that, if you check into my hotel, I promise you, I promise you, if, if I would still do a hotel, if you check in, particularly today, you would want to say, gosh, I can't wait to come back. Your question today is, if a guest checks out of your hotel, are they, are they anxious to come back? And if they are, they won't look for an Airbnb or for one of the sleeping commodities, even though they'll pay less there. You know, they, here's the fascinating thing. A recent survey shows that 70% recent, 70 of the market says, I'm willing to pay more for the same product if somebody really cares for me. Service. Oh, wow. And here's something even more important. Over 80% of the millennials say so. Oh, wow. Now, wow. and pretty soon, all your customer millennials, if I know that, if I know that in a clearly defined survey, why would I become a commodity? Yeah, that's so interesting. You're, you're running this through a filter in my mind. So, you know, this, this has been a strange 18 months, two years. But uh, these people I know in a little town just north of here started a restaurant. And we visited them for the first time right as lockdown was starting. And they're the restaurant we visited 90% of the time in the last year and a half when they've been open. And they'll be on my podcast, Simon and Darcy. So if you're listening, shout out. And the food is incredible, but you know what it was? They make you feel like you're the only person in the restaurant and they genuinely care. And they've got, they opened up a second business, which I think is incredible. So it's one of the reasons I want to interview them. But you're right. I think that is so, that's, it feels increasingly scarce. And when you have it, it is gold. Platinum. Yeah, Gary, Gary, you sit in your office for lunch. There are a number mm. of guys hanging around. We said, let's go for lunch. Where are you going to end up going? Where the food was good? Oh, Not true. 100% and Not telling true. all my friends to eat there when they're in yeah. town. You go, no, you go where you felt good, which yep. includes the food. <laughs> no doubt about it. You can't, you can't take it out of the equation, but you end up going where you felt good because of the overall experience. Overall mm -hmm. experience. But, you know, with, with the whole, whole service attitude, I was, last week, I was staying in a five-star hotel in California. Five-star. Yeah. Well, big name, big name, name. This, the, 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 I come back, I checked out. I went to my meetings in the morning, came back in the evening, the room was not made. In fact, it was never made. It was never finished. I had slept there the night before, it was not made. So the next morning... The next morning when I checked out, I told the front desk person, I went for checkout. I usually just give my keys. I went, by the way, nobody made my room. I said, just so you know. He said, you know, I heard that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, you know, that's a five-star hotel. <laughs> you know, they're already not a commodity anymore, but they still have a name that sounds good. Oh, but wow. But coming a commodity, they don't you make the room. I heard it all the time. They, they didn't, with other words, that employee didn't feel part. Like I said, they weren't taught if you get a complaint, you own it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and didn't say, for, if you would have said, forgive me, I would have nearly been embarrassed that I complained. Forgive me, I would have said, oh, I, I, it's, it's okay, no problem, no problem, no problem. Instead, I get, them, I get a questionnaire afterwards. How did we do? 
how did we do? And I really hit him on that one. Mm-hmm. And then I was a trip advisor. I said the lowest ever. Can't help wow. it. I, I had to do that. I was so so annoyed. What do you mean? The dude ever? I mean, nobody. Okay, nobody, so let's play that as, a, as a case scenario. What would have turned that around for you? So you got oh. missed on so, checkout. What would have turned that around? You, you know what? It, it didn't even bother me. I was glad that nobody went to my room. Didn't, I just wanted to let him know. And yeah. if he would have, if even if, if he would have looked at me for one second and said, "I'm so I'm so sorry." I, I, I can't believe it. That, uh, that must be annoying. I would have said, I would have said right there, no problem. In fact, I'm glad nobody was in my room. Uh, True. It didn't bother me at all. No problem whatsoever. And it would have been forgotten. And I would and, and I would have responded on the questionnaire based on how he treated me and how the rest of the treatment was. And not on this silly, I mean, don't, don't even, you mean, it happens all the time. He says it. No, it happens all the time. <laughs> Pick the wrong guy to say that to. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? Oh, horse. So I know you're involved in some future ventures. You've got your finger on the future of the hotel industry. Where do you think service and hospitality are heading, good and bad, in the future? Well, because of this commoditization of everything, the rest who will depend on the service have to be truly excellent at it. And you know, and, and I'm being asked, and it's, it's, I can't even believe sometimes the questions that come up and said, well, and, I, 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 and I'm in a meeting, there's a speaker and talks about the hotel industry and he tells the whole industry is changing. Everything's changing, commodity, uh, in uh, high tech and everything. Yeah. What is changing? Does it really change that a human being one who happens to be a guest wants to be respected? You, mm. you tell me that's going to change? You mean the very essence of our industry, caring and service, is going to change? It is so silly. All that high, high, uh, that's, if I think like that, because they're not thinking anymore about the guests. They're thinking about saving labor costs. Make it easy. That's right. That is right. We have to think about that. But I have to think about how can I make my hospital and, and use my, my technology to make my service to the guest even more efficient, even better. Ma- use question. the technology to support my caring for the guest. Mm. Then I have something. So, yes, there will be all kinds of things will changing. But believe me, ladies and gentlemen, no to the guest or your customer or your patient or your parishioner, whatever you call them, they still want you to respect them and care for them. Doesn't go away. I couldn't agree more. And it's something I find myself longing for. So you wrote Excellence Wins a couple of years ago, you released it. So that means you probably wrote it three or four years ago over a period of time. And in there, you kind of enumerate all the Ritz-Carlton principles and a whole lot more. The book is called Excellence Wins. Based on what we know now in the world that we're living in in this moment, are there any principles that really rise to the surface that you're saying, above all, pay attention to this? Well, I didn't know at the time, something I mentioned before, which blows, blows me away. This comment, uh, I, I talked about it, but 
not strong enough because it's it's so so different. It's this individualization, this individualization that the uh, that the millennials want. Ah, and and that and that is absolutely huge. If I'm not recognizing that as a business, I'm making a serious mistake. Mm. They're saying they're very clearly saying, "Do it my way." It, it's not it's not about you. It's about me. They're saying that very strong, and. I mean, they're amazing. They're willing to pay more for it. This It's a little the, like the Capella philosophy, right? Oh, oh no, no question about it, except we went, we went to- Ultra high end. Ultra high end. I knew that in if you take the, the whole customer base of, our, of, our, of, our, of our its carton, there is the, the customer that uses the rooms and wants the good service and so on. And then there's the customer that has- by suites and is willing to pay two, three thousand dollars a night for a suite. And have and that's what I went for for those kind of guests only. Hmm. And then and I, I knew there were enough for smaller hotels. I knew their expectation in a smaller hotel. Uh, they want privacy but connectivity at the same time. They want do it my way, all the way, and so on, so on. So we went for that. But it is the same thing except to the general market. Right. Take care of me the way I want it. And, and that, to understand that that, is, that that didn't hit us. And, and uh, I expressed that earlier too, and the time difference, the timeliness, the time stuff is so important. Everything, you have to do it now. Do it now. Right. Don't let me wait. Don't let me wait. Show up in time when you have it. Give me... Respond to my email now, not later. Check yeah. me in now. Get me and and this this whole this whole thing of I want it now. I have to readjust. We have to readjust our processes around that. And if I, if I ignore that, I'm gonna have a problem. Mm. And and this this whole thing of individualization by the millennials is unbelievably strong. But again, if I do it well and I show them that I care, they become loyal. I mean, loyalty, by the way, is nothing else that they will trust you with what you're selling and what you're selling. Yeah, and and I guess the key, the challenge then is to do that at scale because at Capella, yes. there's a, a fraction of the 1% who can afford that. You're talking about serving millions of people in yeah. the service industry moving For forward. Sure. Any thoughts yeah. on how to do that on a budget and at scale? Well, well uh, to me, scaling was something a little bit different. I had to scale the thinking and the feeling into different cultures of what's mm. called in a different cultures. Mind you, we, we were in five continents. So scaling that, that, that all that meant to me, I had to be, I have to systemize my selection and training of every employee, but at the same time, bring the same thinking in and conversations into the hotels. Right. That's why we had a daily, what we called lineup huddle with every employee where we discussed the service principle of the day and we shared what's going on in the company and what is new in the company and, and, and maybe a letter or, or unusual letter of compliments and so on. Shit. So with other words, the dialogue, the narrative in the hotel 
no matter what, today is the same. I put similar narrative into the hotels. And so, so you have to, you can bring that into the smallest denominators and so on. So how do I, do I repeat something? I have to make sure the processes are the same relative to what I want to repeat. And the thinking is the same relative to what, so I have to make sure the narrative, what I want to do is the same. And that is, that is the way to scale. And we, and there, there process, we can we take too long to go work on the processes that we worked on to be sure the, the, the what happens again in a big sense the, the guest checks into Shanghai, somebody I know, and he calls me and said, I cannot believe I here walk into this hotel, into the recent Shanghai. It looks totally different. It is totally different, but I could have told in three minutes, I'm in a Ritz. Well, that's the ultimate compliment. You want to be sure it's the same. And, and you can bring it all the way down to make sure you're repeating this. The, the, the sandwich looks the same, except be willing to adjust to the customer. That can't yeah. go away. You see, that can't go away. That very individualization cannot go away. That's what I'm saying. So, so you still streamline everything, but because of your teaching and, your, and the understanding by everybody, you create individualization. And that's how you scale it. You know, it, it, it resonates so much because you do drill that in at every level. My wife is dairy intolerant and, uh, you know, she's been that way for a couple of years. And it is amazing because we're out on the road a lot normally. How often that seems like such a surprise question to people on the menu. It's like they have to go check with the kitchen. And I'm sure it must come up like 20 times oh, a day come on. Today, in the average come restaurant. That <laughs> is a given today. It is so, a given today. You know, so that's the point. I mean, it does, what's the process? Once you have an understanding, I mean, particularly if you are a little larger, if you are, you should be, I mean, this is so simple, everything. We collected all comments and then understood what is important here. What's important to do or not to do. <laughs> so right. Once you know that, you go out, I mean, if you if you don't hear that, that is a general expectation. I mean, come on. In, in that moment, you have to go back and teach everybody. And that is again mm -hmm. scaling it. Now, what we would do then is say in our daily huddle, the next week, that's a subject together mm -hmm. with the other subject. Bang, 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 drive it home. And then it is repeated. And then we read a letter where somebody compliments about it, us about it. And then we may read a letter where somebody complained that it didn't happen. And then we read five letters where people compliment about this bang it is in the organization. So, so you process this and you, you process the situation, you work on it. That's all. And keep, you're dealing with human beings and that's how you handle it with human beings. It's not one memo from the boss and you think it happened. You're kidding me. You think it's going to happen with one of your memos? Come on. And, yeah. and if it's something that, that demands a little bit touch, no matter what it is, then you go to the people who do that job and say, how do you think we should do it? Hmm. That is an even better idea. You know, no one's ever asked her that question. Yeah, that, that's the problem. That's the problem. You know, that's Taylorism because we are the bosses. We tell you how to do it. 
you know, like uh, tell the uh, story in room service in my book. I mean, instead of going to the room service people and say, how, how can we do room service better? The boss sends a memo how to do it better and cre- creates more complexity. It's so silly all. It's, it's, it is. Can it, you explain Taylorism for those who may not know it? It's, a, it's an industrial well, term, Taylor, right? Well, t- <laughs> yeah. T- Taylorism. Taylor was the one that kind of helped industrial, the, the, the industry during the industrial revolution to create mass production. Yeah. What, what he actually said in a simple way is, okay, this guy just tightens four screws. The other one puts this piece here. The next one tightens and so on. And out comes a car, if you will, or whatever. And he said, in fact, the guy that does this doesn't even have to know what we built. And because all they do, that's what he said, not me. Hmm. All they do is they do things. We think and they do. In fact, Ford was terrible. You know, we, we honor Ford, how, uh, Henry Ford, how great he was. Well, he was a miserable guy. He said to his human resource people, we don't need people with brains. We need people with four hands. Don't think, don't care about the, what they really think and who is it. it doesn't matter what they think, as long as they do. And that was Taylorism. And we still have one foot in that. We think mm. they do, which is, and, and I, have to, I have news for you. The guy that was tightening the four screws, he knew better how to do that than the guy up in the office. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Horst, I'll tell you, it's always stimulating. Um, you make me rethink so much of what I do. And it's always a delight to have a conversation with you. Any final thoughts for leaders as they try to navigate this really less certain than ever future? What would you say to them? Any one of you, I mean, have a purpose. I mean, look, leadership starts with leading yourself. What is your purpose? And commit yourself to it. And then make no more excuses. Go for it. Now, the, the excuses, the reasons that you find why it won't work, either what your boss comes up with or you, the reasons why you find the reasons, it's just an excuse. It's just an excuse. And, and now I'll tell you a secret. The way you will come with reasons, and you will, and you will, we all do. It's simply, we, we look for some, something, what if it doesn't work? What can I blame? What can I blame so that I'm not blamed? It's our insecurity yeah. that finds reason. Excellence is never an accident. It's always the result of high intent and hard work. What's your high intent in what you're doing? You have to question yourself, whatever you're doing, what is my, what's the highest intent? And then go for that intent. You know, it, it, it's a decision-making decision. Your, your destiny is not accident. It's the decisions that you made relative to your work. But, it's, but excellence is high intent and hard work. So inspiring, so practical. If people want, obviously, Excellence Wins is available everywhere books are sold. Um, do you have a website or anything people can find your well, work on H- these days? Well, uh, HHS uh, uh, at horseschulze.com. Okay. Horseschulze.com. It's, it's very simple and so on. And, and uh, so I can tell what was it? Horseschulze.com. Yeah, Horst okay, great. And we'll link to that in the show notes. Horst, again, 
Thank you so much. I hope we will do this again. I hope so too. All the best to you. God bless. God bless. Thank you, Horst. Man, it was so good to hear more of Horst's story. And I appreciated him being willing to go there about that time in San Francisco where, you know, he really was struggling. Because sometimes you look at a life that successful and go, well, you know, it just always was up and to the right. And for him to share that and then talk about the future uh, and to be contributing at such a meaningful level well into 65 years into a career, unbelievable. I felt really privileged to be able to bring you that conversation. We have show notes for you at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 449. If this episode was helpful, uh, let other people know about it. Tag me online. I'm Kerry Newhoff on Instagram, C. Newhoff on some other platforms. We're on TikTok as well. I uh, would love for you to get the word out. Uh, man, being able to do this and bring world-class voices to you week after week is such a privilege. I want you to know we never take it for granted. Here is an episode, a sneak peek of what's coming up next. I'm so excited to be sitting down with Jacqueline Novogratz. She's the founder of Acumen and has been voted one of the 100 greatest living business minds by Forbes. Uh, Here's what she talks about. And uh, I first heard about her on the Tim Ferriss show. And uh, Tim called the episode how she's actually changing the world. And this woman is actually changing the world. Here you go either get stars on our foreheads or she would give us saints cards like baseball cards except they had saints with stories of the saints on the other side and no way oh yeah and i knew those saints i collected those saints cards i took them very seriously and it was literally only a few years ago when i was talking to the poet marie howe who also comes from an enormous catholic family and we were laughing about the saints cards because i kind of wanted to be a saint Um, And she said, well, you know, Jacqueline, don't laugh, because those stories of the saints were the first stories we as little girls may have read about women who wrote the narratives of their own lives. That's next time on the podcast. I'm so excited to bring that to you. We also have Max Lucado, Erwin McManus, Scott O'Neill from the Philadelphia 76ers, Jessica Jackley, the Art of Charm guys, AJ and Johnny are going to be on with us, Dave Hollis, Nikki Gumbel's coming back. Uh, Who else? Francesca Gino. Ian Morgan Cron, Mark Sayers, and so many others. Very excited to be able to do this with you. Hey, normally we do like a what I'm thinking about segment or an ask me anything about productivity. And what we're doing today is we're switching it up. If you would like to hear a different segment at the end of this podcast, let me know. Send me an email over at carrie at carrienewhoff.com. And if you don't know how to spell my name, you can Google it. Uh, Google will get you there. And if you like this episode, head on over to the main site, kerryneuhoff.com. I do a lot of writing there. My web content, that site gets accessed over 600,000 times a month. And if you're not on my email list, I send a nearly daily email to about 83,000 leaders. And uh, we have just a short daily dose of leadership good. If that would be helpful to you, you can sign up over there at kerryneuhoff.com slash email or uh, you'll see some prompts on the website as well. It's also home to the podcast and everything I do, my courses. So I'd love to have you do that. I find often, I don't know whether you find this or not, but often I'll listen to a podcast, but never go to the website. And if that is you, why don't you make this a different kind of day? Go to kerryneuhoff.com. You can find everything there. Join, uh, well, the content over there and on this podcast gets uh, accessed over one and a half million times a month by leaders And uh, it's just a privilege to be able to do this. Hey, if you've got an idea for what you might like to hear at the end of the show, shoot me a note. I can be reached at carrie at carrienewhoff.com. In the meantime, can't wait for the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. 
And I hope our time together today has helped you thrive in life and leadership. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.